Hey, thanks for tuning in to Daily Devotions with Pastor Eric. I hope that today's devotion will be a blessing to you. Either we're supplementing this with your other devotional practices, or you're using this as a way to learn more about how to start your own daily devotions. If you have questions about anything that I cover, or you would like additional suggestions on how to include devotions into your life, I'd be happy to answer your questions. Please email me at ebreddles87 at gmail.com. Uh, as always, we're going to start with an opening prayer from the book, The Valley of Vision. This prayer uh, is titled, The Divine Will. O Lord, I hang on thee. I see, believe, live. When thy will, not mine, is done, I can plead nothing in myself. In regard of any worthiness and grace, in regard of thy providence and promises, but only thy good pleasure. If thy mercy makes me poor and vile, blessed be thou. Prayers arising from my needs are preparations for future mercies. Help me to honor thee by believing before I feel. For great is the sin if I make feeling a cause of faith. Show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse thy love. Help me to humble myself for past evils, to be resolved to walk with more care. For if I do not walk wholly, before thee, how can I be assured of my salvation? It is the meek and humble who are shown thy covenant, know thy will and pardoned and healed, who by faith depend and rest upon grace, who are sanctified and quickened, who evidence thy love. Help me to pray in faith, so, and so find thy will. By leaning hard on thy rich free mercy, by living thou wilt give what thou hast promised. Strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I received is thy gift, so that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several degrees of prayer, that when faith is begun, it is imperfect and must grow. As chapped ground opens wider and wider until rain comes, so shall I wait thy will. Pray for it to be done, and by the grace become fully obedient. Amen. We're going to be reading today from Galatians 3 verses 1 through 14. The next couple of chapters we're going to break down a little bit more than we have previously simply because there's so much here that I don't want to just gloss over and there's so much truth that we can uh, glean from God's word when we really true, truly look to see what he is saying. So the Apostle Paul writes in uh, Galatians 3 starting in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, so then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard, just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness? You know, then, that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. 
Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law who... The law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus, so that he or excuse me, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Thus says the Lord. We're looking at this passage in the scope of, of two sections, verses 1 through 5 and then 6 through 14. In verses 1 through 5, we see a personal argument against the law on behalf of Paul. Paul asserts that the Galatians had witnessed the crucified Christ in his preaching. When Paul was with them, he preached freedom from sin and bondage, which is found in Christ's atoning sacrifice, which we celebrate this week is, uh, through Holy Week and uh, in a sense, he's saying, don't you remember why you came to faith and what you came to faith in? They came to faith because of God's work, not theirs. They believed in what Paul preached, which was a grace-filled gospel rather than a works-based gospel. And In fact, a works-based gospel is a false gospel, meaning that works-based gospel would be works that lead to salvation rather than works coming as an outflowing of one's salvation. Is the Holy Spirit in, in them or not? He poses this question. Did they come to faith because of the Spirit's work in their hearts? They're acting as though it was their own work that brought them to Christ. We're called to walk in the Spirit as He dwells in us. We are unable to believe apart from the Spirit's indwelling. Therefore, we should seek the Spirit, His leading, and His work. The Galatians also experienced miracles among them. This was further evidence of the Spirit's work. Paul suggested it isn't by their works or adherence to the law that provided them salvation or these miracles, but purely and absolutely from the Spirit. And then, verses 6 through 14, we see a scriptural argument against the law. Abraham is the example presented here. He, he wasn't saved by his own works, but by faith in God. The Israelites were quite proud of their heritage, as many of us are proud of where our ancestors came from. The problem is that Jews believed they would inherit salvation in the kingdom of God through their relationship to Abraham. Paul pushes back and says that, in fact, the gospel was preached to Abraham. He received salvation through faith alone, just as the Gentiles would. As Christians, our spiritual father is Abraham. We, uh, we now come from his line, as verse 29 indicates, which we'll get to maybe in a couple of days. The Judaizers wanted these Gentile Christians to join the faith, but only if they would adhere to the law of the Old Covenant. They were so ingrained in their tradition that it became a stumbling block to truly embrace the gospel, that the Galatians were able to accept it. There was a great deal of teaching, encouraging, and rebuking that needed to be done in this, in this church. The curse of the law, as outlined here, is death. Christ is the one who bore that burden for us, rescuing us from eternal death and the bondage of sin today. 
His work is freedom to those who have, who have been burdened by the weight of the law, which exposes our weariness and sinfulness. One of the reasons the Galatians were likely bewitched by the Judaizers was the appeal to their humanity. We all feel as though we must contribute something to our salvation, not just the Galatians, all of us. This is a wrong understanding of the gospel. But the gift is so amazing, we can't help but look and say, I must do something to receive it. I encourage you today, if you're listening, to think of areas in your life that you look, uh, look to or towards for your identity and justification. Maybe it's your job, your family, your role as a husband, a mom, a father, or son. Whatever it is that you find worth in, it's overshadowed by the gospel. The roles that you and I play in our families or at work or in school, they aren't who we are. They aren't our identity. Our identity is found in Christ. That identity is given to you and to me at salvation regardless of our backgrounds. I don't want you to mistake the importance of understanding what the law is. Uh, and Paul will unpack a little bit more of that as we move forward, but I don't want to give you the impression. And Paul doesn't do this in context to completely negate the law in the sense that uh, the law was rubbish or, or along that sense, but in comparison to the gospel, it, it is. However, he, he's trying to highlight for us that the law yeah, it exposes our own sinfulness and the holiness of God and that the law is no longer above us. We're no longer trying to attain what the law provides, which is really just condemnation. Uh, but with the law, it kind of, it, it's under us. And, and as we grow in our faith, we naturally, um, through the grace of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, we're not looking at the law as something to attain, but the law is something that flows out of us, not in a legalistic sense, but that we're naturally going to be uh, seeking to uh, obey the Lord's commands and seek to glorify Him in, in all of our lives. So I'll conclude uh, the portion of our Bible reading and, and our teaching from that. We're going to read quickly from Calvin's A Little Book on the Christian Life. This is uh, starting chapter 2. Uh, it's a little bit longer than the last couple that we've done, but uh, I'll try and read a little bit quick uh, and, and get through it, but I hope it blesses you. Uh, he's just a tremendous writer. Uh, Calvin writes, The law of the Lord is, is the best and most suitable instruction for the proper ordering of our lives. Nevertheless, it seemed good to, to our Heavenly Father to conform us by an even more precise rule than what's given to the precepts of the law. This is the sum of the rule. It is the duty of believers to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And in this consists genuine worship of Him. From this rule is derived the exhortation that believers not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of their minds so that by testing they may discern what is the will of God. He cites Romans 12, 1 through 2, saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He goes on to say, This is a marvelous thing. We are consecrated and dedicated to God to the end of that we might not think, speak, meditate, or act unless it be to his glory. The sacred can't be put to profane use without injustice to God. 
If we are not our own but the Lord's, it's clear what errors we must flee and what we must direct our whole lives towards. We are not our own, therefore neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and actions. We are not our own, therefore let us make the gratification of our flesh our end. We are not our own, therefore as much as possible let us forget ourselves and our own interests. Rather we are God's, therefore let us live and die to him. We are God's, therefore let his wisdom and his will govern all of our actions. We are God's, therefore let us in every way, in all our lives run to him as our only proper end. How far has he progressed who's been taught that he is not his own, who's taken rule and dominion away from his own reason and entrusted them to God? For the plague of submitting to our own rule leads us straight to ruin, but the surest way of, to safety is neither to know nor to want anything on our own, but simply to follow the leading of the Lord. Let then our first step be the to abandon ourselves that we may apply all our strength to obedience to god when i say obedience i don't mean giving lip service to god but rather being free from the desire of the flesh turning our minds over completely to the bidding of the spirit of god the philosophers are ignorant of the transformation which paul causes the renewing of the mind even though it constitutes the very beginning of life according to ephesians 4 23 they enthrone man's reason alone as ruler, and they think it alone should be listened to. Indeed, they grant and entrust government of conduct to human reason alone. But Christian philosophy, on the other hand, orders human reason to give place, to submit and yield to the Holy Spirit. For it's not now who we who live, but Christ who lives and reigns in us. Ah, oh, man, that's great. That concludes our reading from, from John Calvin. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, let me close uh, with prayer. Father, we see your will to be done in our lives, our neighborhoods, and our families. We are so quick to wander, stumbling through life, overwhelmed by the burdens of this world and busyness of work and family. We're often, we often crowd our, or excuse me, we often crowd your still small voice, filling our ears and minds with the novocaine of television, movies, friends, and family. We all too quickly find our identity in the good gifts you have given us rather than in the one who has given them. Father, we seek you, coming to you humbly, seeking your forgiveness. We know that your son's sacrifice, we have already been forgiven, but how easily do we forget that fact? May your spirit convict us, and your word remind us of your splendor. Your grandeur knows no limits. Your beauty is truly overwhelming. Lead us to your will, conforming us into the image of your Son, seeking his glory along the way. It's in, you, it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and it's blessed you. Hope to see you next time. God bless.